You are listening to highlights of an episode from The Creative Process. To listen to the full interview and learn more about The Creative Process projects, please visit www.creativeprocess.info. Uh, as a screenwriter, I, I was very fortunate um, in many ways. Um, uh, when I came out to Los Angeles in 1985, um, I'd spent my 20s um, writing novels that I couldn't get published. Um, the first one, which I think could be charitably described as kind of um, insufficiently digested autobiographical material, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, got me a very, very good agent. Uh, you know, an agency that had represented Fitzgerald and Faulkner, but they couldn't quite sell the book. The second novel was much more literary and ambitious, and I liked it a lot more because it wasn't just sort of me regurgitating my own life, and they liked it a lot less. I think they had wanted me to be a voice of a generation, and I wanted to be a pretentious literary writer, which suited them far less. Yeah. Um, the third novel... Um, um, got me a not very good agent. The fourth novel lost me that agent. So by the time I was 30, I had these four unpublished and perhaps unpublishable novels. Um, and um, I kind of gave up. Um, the pain of going to the mailbox every day to see if you would get that magic letter. And then, you know, three months later, getting that thin envelope that says, that has the word in it, the phrase is, you know, as you know, or while, you know, it was just too much. And yeah. it was painful going out in public and somebody would say, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a writer. And they would say, anything I might have read? Or they would say, published? And it was just too painful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, when people would ask me what I did, I started saying, uh, I'm a defensive linebacker with the Green Bay football team. <laughs> and they didn't believe me but it shut them the fuck up and it saved me the embarrassment of having to say I was a writer and waiting for the inevitable next awful question. So I, I wrote, I had, after writing these four novels that nobody wanted to read, I you know, I segued kind of from writing unpublishable novels to writing unproducible screenplays. It seemed like an easy slide. And so yeah. I wrote a couple of screenplays that were very bizarre. Um, they were not calling card screenplays. They were not designed to say, Mr. Spielberg over here, look at me. Mm -hmm. They were just things that were more specific and visual than I had the imagination to write in novels. So I wrote them in screenplay form. And when I moved to Los Angeles, because my then girlfriend, who later became my wife, mm -hmm. moved out there and I didn't want to break up. Um, or have a long-distance romance. Um, I started showing these screenplays around and miraculously got a lot of lunches and coffees out of them. Again and again, people would say to me, we love this. And I would say, thank you. And they would say, of course, we can't make this movie, but maybe you could do something else for us. And in some ways, that's very flattering. It's like somebody likes the way you write well enough to think that you actually could do this for money. Mm. In other ways there's something very suspect about the entire process. Um, it's like the guy in a puffy vest who will come up to you at the Sundance Film Festival and say, 
You've just made a film which is small and interesting. Can I give you some money to make one which is neither? Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I think um, because I wrote sort of weird or dark, um, I don't know if it's this way where you grew up, but where I grew up in middle school, there's a cafeteria. And like, if you're part of the football team, you sit over there. And if you're socially popular, you sit over here next to the caste system. And over here, there's the goths, the burnouts, the misfits, you know, um, but yeah, that was my table. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) And so that was sort of my table in the movie industry. You know, uh, it was like, you know, well, you know, um, and so I got to work for work for and with people like um, uh, Steven Soderbergh and Clive Barker and David Lynch and heaven help us. I wrote a screenplay for Michael Jackson and <laughs> I did an adaptation wow. for Maurice Sendak. So um, it was kind of great. Um, yeah. You know, I got to work with all of these people whose work I deeply admired and I got to learn so much from them. And along the way, I got to adapt many of my favorite people. Uh, on Showtime in shorter format, I adapted um, a Jim Thompson, another Jim Thompson, and a David Goodis, uh, and a Jonathan Craig, and worked on one which was a Cornell Woolrich. Uh, those were fun. I want to talk a little bit about um, the, 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 your work for the Writers Guild and Sundance, a little bit like the missions and how um, they've evolved during your time there. You know, just tell me how you became involved and, and what your, your role is there. Sure. Um, let me start with the Writers Guild of America West, which represents most all of the people who write the things you see on big and small screens, period. And um, the Writers Guild started out in um, as a group called the Writers in 1919-1920, which was basically uh, they drank and they complained together as writers, as we do. Yeah, it's part of the job description. (laughs) Yeah. And um, then in the 20s, at the time, studios decided who got writing credit uh, on films. So... You could write an entire motion picture and the head of the studio could decide that his son-in-law needed a credit and your name would be off and the son-in-law's name would be on. And there was, there was no appeal from that. That just was what it was. And so the writers got together and with collective force said, we're not going to write anymore if you're going to do this. And they actually used the collective leverage to get control over screen credits. You know, we will decide them ourselves. You will not decide them for us. And I think emboldened by that, then there was, um, but so that was the first struggle. And then there were fights over minimum wages. And then uh, throughout the decades, um, fights for healthcare, so that if you got sick on the job, you know, you didn't go bankrupt. Fights for residuals, so that if people made continuing money on something you wrote, you got a share of that continuing revenue stream. Fights for pension, because the career life of a screen or television writer can be about as long as the career life of a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. And you should have something to cover you during those years when the industry considers you unemployable. Mm-hmm. So those struggles moved me. 
it pained me to think that generation after generation, and you know, I speak this as somebody whose father was a writer, whose brother is a writer, whose uncle was a writer, um, that the fragile thread of being able to make a living writing would snap in our generation was unthinkable. So I first became involved in the writer's guild because I was writing a lot of independent films, things like, you know, um, um, you know, the movie that became Savage Race, stuff like that. My, my feeling is when you are worried about putting food on the table, you are not at your most creative. You are at your most fearful. But when the financial stuff gets taken care of, it's a lot easier to be imaginative. It's a lot easier to create works of genius and free speech because um, you're not simply working in an atmosphere of fear and constriction. You're actually working in a place expansive enough where you can push the boundaries of your own creativity. And frankly, that goal was equally important to me and hand in hand with the financial goal. I mean, movies are, are and, and television are are really empathy machines, if you think about it. I mean, it forces you to spend two hours or maybe even 10 hours or maybe even five years of your life seeing the world through someone else's eyes. And having done that, it becomes harder to walk out of the theater or walk out of your own living room and see somebody on a street corner and not be able to, even if for a fleeting moment, imagine what the world must look like through their eyes. So I think the act of writing for cinema, for television at its best, encourages and maybe even enforces our ability to see the world as others see it. And to my mind, that kind of imaginative, projective empathy is a very good place for the beginning of um, politics and social change. Want to get involved in exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.